0: You're up there. We love you, buddy. Amen. Acts chapter 5 and 2 Timothy chapter 4. Acts chapter 5 and 2 Timothy chapter 4. Well, we got a good media person. And she is gorgeous. Amen. Some of the greatest studying that I've ever done, I I believe... Looking back in the Word of God has been specifically so I can have a biblical response to what the Word of God says to something happening in my life. Whether it was somebody going uh, through an issue that I now have to give a biblical response to or something in my life personally. Whatever it is, some of the greatest studying that I've ever done has been because of a response to something happening in my life that I was dealing with. Whether directly or indirectly. The issue of divorce. The issue of the bride of Christ. Uh, drinking alcohol, even abortion, even things that we were raised in and we believe and we we, we we know what we stance we take on things. But if somebody were to tell you, why is it wrong to kill an unborn baby? Do you have an answer? But looking to the Word of God should not be something... Abnormal or crazy or some great that should be the normal response that we have to any issue that we have in life. See what the word of God says first. I've been preaching that for two years pretty hard, and I mean it. And I pray that the rest of my life I'll preach the same. The problem that we get ourselves into is when we believe something that God never said, which often takes the form of, well, that's just the way I was always told, or I was always taught. Right? In good meaning people, in whatever level even religion or within or within a denomination within the church just because you're taught something does, doesn't always mean that it's right <clears throat> um, there's a um, I can say there's a pastor that I know that believes that I mean to his core he believes that doing like a, a like a card trick or like a magic trick where you pull a quarter out of somebody's ear you you do the little balls and cups that's wicked black magic get that far from me right but that's what he was always taught he was taught that he was told that so in his mind right uh he's i'm going to stay as far away from that and that's fine for him because because he equates that uh with wickedness right um right uh we, we think and i think of this when i think of playing poker i think of like that as wrong but there's actually nothing wrong with the game of poker but we're just associated with gambling, and we're like people losing their money, right? It's, it's just a card game. There's nothing wrong with a card game, right? Um, a lot of people have <clears throat> playing pool. It's just a wicked thing to do, right? There's nothing wrong with having a pool table. Um, at Prayer Baptist Church, Mr. Andy Sontag took a bunch of us teens <clears throat> to a, um, a billiard place that they opened it up just with pool tables. You could... And... and, and you don't go in for a pool table. You rent the whole hall, which had like eight or ten pool tables. You rent the whole thing. There's no eating, no drinking, no alcohol, no smoking. You can rent the whole thing. He thought, and he loved pool back in his younger days. So we went as a youth group to this pool place, and we, it was a great time. Wow. You would have thought pigs were flying and hell was froze over because he, I mean, he about got kicked out of the church for doing something so awful, because all those people could see was he took the kids to a pool hall. That's all they could see was that image of the bar scene, essentially. When it was far from it, it, it was, But we do that. TV in the auditorium. People think that's just wicked because they were taught that it's wrong, therefore it must be wrong. Nothing wrong with the TV in, in the auditorium. You know, if we wanted to, I guess we could have a graph to do all of our announcements, you know? But um, Acts chapter five verse 29. says then peter and the other apostles answered and said we ought to obey god rather than men brother tony would you pray for the service sir By the way, there's something extra special when just ladies are singing together. And there's something in a different way special when just men are singing together. And it's great when they all sing together too, but it's encouraging, amen. And I thank you men for doing that with me. I know um, we did not practice that for sure. Uh, But I love the power and the girth that's behind it. There was a, um, as we turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 2, there's a, a banjo player that I knew. Um, he was a bigger name. He his, he played with Bill Monroe for a couple of years back when in the South when bluegrass was like you know that was it. Uh, believe it or not, it's, it used to be popular in some parts of the world. Um, but he played a banjo and he was very traditional banjo and, and whatnot. But but he had a great testimony of salvation because he I mean he played in all the honky tonks and all that, uh, on um, what's the one in Nashville the big place. Randall Loughborough, he played there several times. I mean, he was like, with Bill Monroe, I mean, he was, he was somebody. <clears throat> um, well, he got saved. But before he got saved, all of his friends kept saying, you get saved, you got to give up your banjo. It's got to go. You can't, you can't live that lifestyle. You can't live a, a Christian lifestyle and play the stuff that we play. Well, he read his Bible. Actually, he actually he read his New Testament in three days. He said he couldn't put it down. He got saved while reading it, and he kept reading it. He had to find out what was going on, you know. Amen to that. So he gets saved, and he just spent three days reading this, and uh, well, he just he quit instantly. The bluegrass world. He put his banjo away. Just he, he's done. He can't play banjo anymore. And I don't know if it was months or years, but he had read his Bible, then he read his entire Bible through again. Then he realized, wait a minute. I can play my banjo for the Lord. I can play gospel songs on that banjo. There's nothing wrong with that banjo. He was taught that all of his life. He can't play banjo and be a Christian. Man, I'm glad that he got to play again. Amen. I learned some banjo from him a little bit when I was a young teenager. Amen. Here, 2 Timothy chapter 4, these are infamous words that Paul told Timothy, words that every young preachers should live by. Really, words that every Christian man should live by uh, and, and principles that every woman should live by as well. But it's a principle that every born-again believer should hold near and dear to their heart. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 it says, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebu- rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall heed to themselves teachers having itching ears. What is sound doctrine? Yes, it's a gospel group that I love. Sound doctrine is instruction and confirmation of truth. The teaching of God's word. Doctrine in itself, the term doctrine is really just a principle teaching. But sound doctrine is truth. and something you can take to the bank. When we have a question about anything in life, do we see what God has to say about it? I mean, where's the first place do we go? To the Word of God, or to YouTube, or to a commentary, or to well, my pastor always said, or my favorite evangelist, he always says this. Where are we, where's our foundation? What are we looking to? Hopefully, the Word of God. It ought to be the first place that we look. Second Timothy chapter four verse four. The next verse it says. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. Well, what is the truth? The Word of God. And what are fables? Now that depends on who you're talking to. I've got a one-point wonder this evening, and we won't be very long. Famous last words, right? We have one point and one point only. That's fables. The whole message is on fables. Fables. There's some believe and teach that the word fables re- refer to talking animals specifically. And because of this, talking animals should never be used in teaching the Word of God. You might say, that just sounds so silly. Well, I'm preaching it for a reason. Because there are people that believe uh, that uh, the word fables means that it's talking animals. And therefore, you can never use talking animals when uh, uh, teaching or preaching the Word of God. As in veggie Tales. Bible or kids Bible stories, Muppets or puppets. So when coming across this, so what do we do? What's the first thing we do? When interpreting the word of God, what's the first things we should do? Number one, not ask Rachel. It's tempting, but don't do it. We should go to the Bible itself. That's just the best way to interpret really anything. And that will answer an abundant amount of questions if you want to define something in the Bible. Because the Bible defines itself. There's something that we call the law of first mentions. Look up the first time that word was used in the Bible. It will almost always define it. One, you go to the Bible itself. Two, you can look at uh, the Greek or Hebrew origin, where it came from. In, 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 a, in, a, in, in some instances, you might have a question about the word love, or maybe uh, hell. Hell. Um, I, I, I did a study on hell one time, the location of hell, and what they were talking about in the Old and New Testament. Uh, interesting, interesting study. But you could look at the, the, where, where the English word came from, the Greek or Hebrew. Number three, you could look at the oldest English dictionary that you can find. For me, it's eight, Webster's 1828 and 1913. So let's do that tonight. The Bible itself, we can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4. Looking at the Bible itself, the law first mentions, this is the first time the Bible mentions fables. It says, Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. There's nothing there that mentions animals or talking animals. Verse 7 says, But refuse uh, profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Nothing that mentions talking animals there. You don't have to turn there, but Titus 1.14 says, Not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Nothing of animals. Second Peter chapter one, verse sixteen, the last place that I found in the Bible said fables. It says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So looking at, and, and this was literally, my, I'm, I'm preaching my Bible study, essentially. So I see five instance, instances in the Bible that says fables. I see nothing about talking to animals or of the sort. So then I look to the Greek and Hebrew just to see if there's anything that uh, isn't obvious. And it's almost uh, you there's almost nothing there that the English don't tell you, just on a rare occasion, in my opinion. But just looking at it, the Greek word for fables is muthos, which means tale, fiction, myth, fable. Nothing here mentioned about talking animal. So I started looking at the dictionaries. And, and, and let me just start with the newest one, and we'll, we'll go off Wikipedia. Wikipedia, by the way, is not really a friend of the gospel, if you ever did much studying. Amen. They are not uh, gospel, pro-gospel. Amen. But Wikipedia says, this is their definition. This is interesting. Fable is a literary genre, a fictional story. Look at this. In prose or verse, that features animals, legendary creatures, plants, uh, inanimate objects, or forces of nature that are... Uh, anthropomorphized, anthropomorphized. And that illustrates or leads to a particular moral lesson. A fable differs from a parable in that the latter excludes animals, plants and inanimate objects and forces uh, of nature's actors that assume speech or uh, other powers of humankind. That's Wikipedia. Wikipedia mentions animals. Let's look at Britannica. It says, Fable narrative form usually featuring animals that behave and speak as human beings and told in order to highlight human follies and weaknesses. A moral or lesson behavior is woven into the story, often explicit formulated at the end. Those are the modern day ones. And by the way, Britannica bought out Wikipedia like in 2001 or something, and they just kept the Wikipedia name. So Wikipedia, if you ever look at Wikipedia Britannica, they're actually the same thing. Am I right on 2001? Oh. So they're really the same, right? T- 2001. Let's, let's look at some older dictionaries. Let's keep our study going. Webster's 1828. It's fable. A fiend story or tale intended to instruct or amuse. A fictitious narration intended to enforce some useful truth or precept. To tell falsehoods, a uh, fable to fiend, to invent, to devise, and to speak of as true or real. Webster's 1828 Dictionary, and Webster's 1913 was almost mere image of that, mentions nothing about talking animals or plants or inanimate objects. Only the modern day dictionary says that. Uh, the only place that mentions it is Wikipedia, of course. Here's the thing, though. If we're going to use Wikipedia as a definition, as as the source to define what the Bible says, you have to follow it through. Let's use this logically. If Wikipedia's definition of fables is what Paul was referring to when writing Timothy, then you've got to follow through the same line as thinking, as in you can't use animals or plants or forces of nature when teaching children about God. You say, why are you hitting this so hard? Let me be very clear. God used a talking donkey. God used a burning bush. If we can't use talking animals or plants or forces of nature to teach children the word of God, now keep the same line of thinking. If you're going to be consistent in saying that, then now you cannot use puppets. You cannot use flannel graphs. You cannot use stickers. You cannot use cut out figurines. You cannot use plants to show God's handiwork. You can't use that, remember that tornado in a two liter bottle? Can't do it, inanimate object. Turn to Acts chapter 17 verse 10. You say, Pastor Gunther, what is the point of your message tonight? Why are you hitting fables so hard? Yeah, yeah, I want to point out what the Bible says about fables. We're doing a little study here tonight on a Sunday night. But more importantly, to self-examine ourselves as to what do we believe and why do we believe it. That's the root cause here. I hope that no one in this congregation or anybody believes what I say blindly just because he's the pastor of Hope Baptist Church. And I mean that from the bottom, bottom of my heart. It would be good if we individually study the Bible for ourselves and individually know what God says about the matter, whatever the matter is. Acts chapter 17, verse 10. It says, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogues of the Jews. These were more noble, noble than those in Thessalonica. And that, look at this, they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Where was that? It was Berea, bread, John, not Thessalonica. That's all I could think of when I was studying this. I said it wrong one day while preaching, amen. But in Berea, They were open to whatever the Word of God had to say. They searched the Scriptures daily to see if the preaching was right. Folks, don't believe what I say blindly. Go home and say, I'm going to look at this fables for myself. Was that the first instance of fables? Let's double check the pastor to see. Because, you know what? pastor could be wrong. He might say Thessalonica instead of Berea. Then I'll have to leave the church. Amen. But it's true. It's true. They they searched the Scriptures daily to see if the preaching was right. But that wasn't the end of it. The next verse begins with a therefore. What's that mean? What's a therefore, therefore? It's a continuation of what was just said. Verse 12 says, Therefore, many of them believed. Also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. They're saying a whole lot of folks got saved because people were studying the Bible for themselves. Not following just what the preacher says. I want quality in my walk with Christ, not quantity. I want quality in my family, not quantity. In In the church house, our congregation, we want quality more important than quantity any day of the week. People were getting saved because the Word of God was being read and studied outside of the preaching time. You know, you want to know what God thinks about something? Check for yourself. I mean it. You want to be grounded in your faith? Read it for yourself. Larry Richardson read the entire New Testament in three days. Yeah, it took all of his time. But it can be done. Rachel read the entire Bible in one month. It took like three or four hours a day. But it can be done. We, we, we can read. And I'm not pushing everybody to read their Bible and just, just to read, just to read. But if we take the time to study it, all of a sudden, just pick one topic. Study it for a month. One topic. Just say divorce. Study it for a month. Just say a couple nights a week. Study on your own time an hour for two. A couple... All of a sudden, at the end of the year, there's 12 topics that you have studied it out. you got written down verses, what you believe, why you believe, and some other denomination. Or some even fellow brother in the church or sister in the church says something off the wall. You can say, actually, I know what I believe, and it's this right here, and this is why I studied it. Because this verse goes with this verse. Because there's nothing that says anything about talking animals in the Bible is wrong to use in a vegetales skid or whatever. It's not a biblical stance to take. Just because some preacher somewhere saw a Wikipedia definition and then applied that to what he was reading because he probably didn't like Muppet babies for some reason. Made a whole doctrine and preached messages on this very thing when actually when you study it out, God's got no problem with flannel graphs or using plants to Teach lessons on God. But people are taught that. Therefore it must be. With all good intentions. Turn to Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 5. I'm asking you church. Do you want to know which denomination is closest to the word of God? Study it out for yourself. Find out what each denomination believes and why. And what their stance is. Search for truth. See, most people, and I'm going to say this for Christians, but lost people as well, will oftentimes uh, argue a topic, but they're not even really looking for... They're not in a... Uh, um, what's, how should I say it? They're not in a relentless pursuit of truth. Their end game isn't, I just want to know what truth is no matter what. Their end game is, I just want to argue my point because it's what I was told. If you're on an endless pursuit of truth... There'd be a whole lot more um, um, maturing and growing going on as opposed to bitterness and separation. And I will excommunicate myself with you because I disagree with you on that. Oh, I didn't even listen to your point and I didn't even study it out. I just, I'm on this side of the line, therefore I'm right. Every time a funeral happens, and this came up, I was talking with Brother Brian this morning. Um, every time there's a funeral and you're dealing with death. Um, there, there's a vast difference. There's a vast, and I've only been a pastor for a couple years. I've uh, been around funerals. But every time there's death, and people are not walking close to the Lord, I'm talking about the family around the dead person, the deceased. There is unrest. There is no peace they're miserable, they're anxious, they're scared, they don't know how to handle themselves cuz they have no peace that passes all understanding. They don't even know how to deal with it cuz they they can't even pray about it. There's no one to talk to. All they can do is fret and stress about it because they're not grounded in the word. But not only is our worship better when we study the word of God. We're way more grounded now when the valleys come. We're not anxious. When things happen in our life, whether it's a lost loved one or any other value you can think of, you're not going to get stressed and worn out near as much. Near as much. You want unwavering faith? It gives you an unexplainable peace through the hard times. Study your Bible. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 5. It says, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. You say, why would you read that verse? Because these are a people who came together for the cause of Christ, unified to do something great. They built those walls together. They were mocked while doing it. They had opposition constantly while doing it. But they served God They remained faithful. Guess what? The walls got built. They were faithful and God blessed them for it. These are the same people that built those walls that were dedicated to the cause of Christ. That wanted to serve Him even though things weren't even looking good. For, for, for a time, they serve the Lord, they worship, because the, there's, you know, in working together, there, there's there, there's worship going on, we're building that fence, we're going to be worshiping the Lord. When we take up an offering, we're worshiping the Lord, we're singing songs, we're worshiping the Lord. We're going to be building that uh, place set, and Rachel's going to be yelling at me, for getting the wrong bolt in the other place, we're going to be worshiping the Lord. But did you catch that? And that's a whole message in and of itself, but... When they came together for the reading of God's word, they stood up because they reverenced it so much. You say, what does that have to do with the message? Because people that were serving the Lord with such great fervency and such great faith had such a great respect for the word of God. You want to do something great in your life? Have respect for the word of God. Abide by it. Live by it. Honor it. Teach your children it. Turn to Philippians chapter 4 and we'll close here. If we would just surrender our lives to the Lord and and honor His Word with everything that is in us, we'd see God's blessings flow. I'm not being a Joel Olsteen up here, but I am telling you the truth. If we would serve the Lord and give our lives to Him, we would do what the Word of God says, the, 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 the... Steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. God directs your steps. He will bless your life in the midst of whatever heartache, whatever country you're in, however miserable the world might see your life. You're going to be the happiest person on earth, whether you're a missionary in South Africa or whatever, or in Ukraine there's missionaries, amen, being bombed and shelled as we speak. And their letters are happy and about serving the Lord. They have a peace that passes all understanding because they're grounded in the word of God. Amen. Even in the midst of building up the temple's walls. Even in the midst of losing lost loved ones. Even in the midst of a valley when you just got to keep going to the hospital. and, you, and, and I, mean, I remember times when, when my family would be in the hospital. I remember times while giving Rachel's giving birth to, I can't remember which child, things weren't going well. Thank God for a word of God that we can pray to the Lord and say, I'm not talking about, what am I going to do, Lord? Oh, my goodness. But in a time like that, you can sit back and say, thank you, God, for this trial. I might be crying through it. I might not know what's going to happen, but Lord, I have a peace that passes all understanding. Lord, I'm grounded in your word. I trust that whatever happens is for your good, and you want this for me to happen. Thank you, Lord, for this trial. And I pray, God, that I, uh, that I could use this opportunity to point to you through all of it and be a blessing to somebody else. What a vast difference of being grounded in the word of God. Amen. Philippians chapter four, verse six Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And those things ye have both learned and received. And heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. There's promises that we can rest in. Through the hard times and through the good times. Because we have a word of God that we're listening to. And not some man. Not some Joel Osteen, not some Oprah, Dr. Phil, not some of your favorite pastor, no matter who it is, not your favorite evangelist, not your favorite YouTube star, your commentary, your favorite blog. But the word of God, this is where happiness is. Sometimes, sometimes you don't feel like studying. I really know. I know. But it's kind of like playing an instrument. Sometimes I don't feel like playing. I, back in the day, I, I don't practice anymore. But when I used to, Miss Aaron knows, sometimes you don't feel like practicing, but once you get to playing, you think, man, now this is fun, this is good. That's how studying is. Once you get to studying, like, thank you, Lord, for being such a good God. Let's close in a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Help us, Lord, to soak it in. Help us, Lord.